Yeah, uh, <laughs> sure. Let's do it. Then, Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Yeah, oh, we were. <laughs> I, I, I was scissors too, but I pulled it even before you did. Scissors, <laughs> shoot. shoot. All right, that was sketchy, but I'll take it. Yeah, um, I'll go Wait. first, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay, here we go. Hi, welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I'm Gary Snow. Today, I welcome Ben Mazzucchetti and Ted Gilbert, the co-creators of Don't Tell Mom and Dad, the tabletop RPG fueled by pulp horror VHS cassettes and sugar and fireworks. Ben and Ted, welcome. Hey. Hey. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing us on. Well, I mean, I just absolutely love the game. It's kind of right. I mentioned before, it's right in my wheelhouse. I just love the design aesthetics and just kind of the scrappy DIY kind of attitude towards it and uh but uh, before we start talking about the game itself uh ted just tell us how did you and then ben how'd you get started in this crazy little hobby uh so i am uh one of those you know sort of subset of us who kind of got into it later in life and ben actually introduced me to the hobby um years back now but we were uh but we were actually playtesting one of Ben's earlier projects that still hasn't, you know, quite come to fruition, but it's still there in the, you know, writing books and might come along. But we were playtesting that. It became, it was this post-apocalyptic game and it became this kind of huge sprawling thing. At some point during the playtesting, Ben um, asked me if I wanted to kind of uh, join in on the writing and creating process because I had a like writing background and some experience publishing um, books through uh, the magazine that I've been running for um, like over a decade now, Lunch Me, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, so we started working on this post-apocalyptic game. That was sort of my introduction to the hobby. Eventually we sort of switched gears when that became um, something that felt maybe too unmanageable for our first you know, project together. And we kind of switched gears into Don't Tell Mom and Dad, um, which I think, you know, I don't want to get ahead of us, but that was my kind of introduction to the hobby was just, uh, you know, starting as a as a play tester, you know, so it wasn't any kind of, it wasn't, definitely wasn't D&D and it wasn't any kind of even like published product out there. It was sort of old school style, like, you know, um, just dirty kind of play testing uh, yeah role-playing experience and then um you know it was right up my alley because i i love um pulp sci-fi and you know vintage horror and fantasy stuff and um and i'm a writer and you know so yeah that's my that's how i got my start and ben you're the the pusher in this case uh getting people into the games yeah yeah i mean it was kind of like destined with with Ted and like our other friends, Hayden, who I make a show with uh, Luther's Midfried snack. Like they were played. So I, I, since I was a kid, I've had trouble. I mean, I am the D and like I'm third, almost 38. I've been playing D and D since I was in sixth grade and like never was really able to play those games without wanting to also make them like from a young age. So I had kind of continually in weird points in my life, like gotten, basically come up with concepts with games and figure out enough mechanics and things and make character sheets and get them to the point where like 
they're able to be played and like, yeah, you got to trust me with the rules a little bit, but like, you know, we got this and we can do this. And then that game of Punkalypse uh, was the first one where I was really taking it to the next step and like had a lot of written material at that time, all typewritten. As I <laughs> and I was like, I've got the rules written here and it's like all typewritten out from my typewriter. And like, we had those awesome typewritten character sheets. Like, yeah, we had those like, look cool. Yeah, super that. And then uh, my partner, Stacy Fevinger, who's a tattoo artist who did the Don't Tell Mom and Dad character sheet, she busted out a really awesome, we were calling that game Apocalypse at the time, um, which was supposed to be an 80s punk, like post-apocalyptic game. Um, got those going. And then I yeah, started to play test with those dudes who like, we all lived in South Philly, basically, and we're all buddies. And I was like, let's try this. And I mean, as much as Ted credits me with like getting him into it, like I credit Ted for pushing me to the point of actually feeling like this is something that I could do and we could make happen. Like it was kind of after a couple sessions, Ted was just like, so why don't we do this? Like this should be a thing. Like you should make this. And I know, you know, I'd written for lunch meet his uh, zine and stuff. And like, you know, always looked up to Ted and Josh as like kind of professional writers where like, I've been a writer my whole life, but never considered it something that could, you know, take me to the next step and get something published. And yeah, working with Ted, we just started to do it. And that game grew and grew and grew into like, all right, it'll be three books. And like, this one will be all about like cults and creatures and mutants. And this one will be about the, you know, with the dungeon master guide and the player's survival guide. And then it was just like, as I was seeing it grow and wanting to have something more finite and faster done, it was kind of just like hit me in the middle of the night where I was like, you have to start at the beginning. Like what we have to be smaller, like let's do something smaller. It's always my way of making art. Like when I record my music, I almost exclusively do it on like four track cassette recorders and stuff. And I find that those constrictions really help me. So it was kind of just like, all right, well, what if we're going to start small and at the beginning and all of these things, like it just kind of hit me. I was like, oh, kids, like let's let's be kids and let's make a smaller game that is us playing as kids before we even get to the adults in an apocalypse or anything. And like we obviously already have being just being the age that we are we just have such a background in that as you probably do too. I mean, geez, the Goonies, the gate monster squad, like, you know, there's so many lost boys, things that were like, Oh, let's do this. And then, you know, we, we were already like going on all cylinders with apocalypse. And we just were able to like really channel that energy directly into don't tell mom and dad. Um, just came up with that title because it was something me and my sister always shouted at each other um, whenever we were in yeah. trouble. Um, and yeah, we just went f- deep into it fast and we tried really hard to make Don't Tell Mom and Dad as small as possible. And <laughs> it still ended up the size of the book that it is, which is smaller than lots of others. But, you know, it's also not a little tiny zine like you know, I think maybe we were hoping it was going to be that, but then like it started to grow and grow and grow. And then we even had a point where we were like, all right, time to cut this down again. And like we chopped off a lot of mechanics and stuff from that game. Make it happen. Yeah. 
Well, I think I got you beat. I still have a game that I designed and it had the dot matrix uh, oh, wind. I had to like perforate off the, oh, the tear sheets. It's still, it's still in a book somewhere. But <laughs> Oh, man. Tim is ripe for that. People would love that aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And so you, you, you pared it down and was it like a big decision to go, okay, we're going to take this to Kickstarter or was that always the end goal? You know, early on, we were, you know, we, I want to give, uh, Jared from, uh, from exalted funeral at the time. Now he does his own thing. We, once we had this game kind of, you know, written and like, cause me and Ted are writers. So that was, that happened fast. And we also are very, very lucky and privileged people to have an entire cavalcade of incredible artists that we know. So, and they were really, you know, helpful for us and wanted to help us. So, like, they got us a lot of art. Stacey Fevinger and Hayden Hall, um, known as Six Slice, like, both really, like, downloaded us with some amazing artwork that we had to work with. Stacey banged out versions of the character sheet. Like, there has been multiple versions of it and got us going. And then we had that. And then we had a nice conversation with Jared early on. And like, I think we were leaning towards Kickstarter. We had done some research and saw how much the community, you know, really embraced Kickstarter um, at the time, you know, and still now, of course, but I know there's some controversy about Kickstarter these days, but yeah. And then talking to him and he was like, if you have the game, like, I think you should do that. Like, if it's something that you're thinking about doing, like, don't. But like, you know, we sent him an early PDF and was like, you know, he was kind of like, yeah, I think you should push for this, you know, and do it and make it happen. So like we pushed forward. Ted ran the Kickstarter, you know, Ted supported probably 150, but didn't hasn't run any, you know, and it was all just a learning process throughout. Mm -hmm. Cool. Let me uh, let me bring it up on the screen so we can all talk to it and love the cover. I think it totally captures the vibe and the the grainy yeah, aesthetic of it. That's Hayden Hall, who we just mentioned before. I mean, this is not only is he just an incredible artist in general. I still think this is one of the best things he's ever done, and we just yeah. somehow like lucked into that. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's fantastic. We're we're super lucky on that, but. Uh, he does great. Like he does a lot of heavy metal album covers and and like horror posters and things like that. Um, but his aesthetic and this is a little bit out of his normal aesthetic. But yeah, we, it it really worked for us. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Because he's the type of dude who has such a great imagination that like we were like, you already know the theme of the game. Like we're looking for something of like kind of kids with a flashlight, like looking forward. And then there's a bunch of like gnarly stuff behind them. And I even think originally, like my first thought was like almost like full body kids. And then there was just some stuff behind them. And then before we knew it, he was like, what about this? And we were like, whoa, <laughs> yes. That, that yeah, I mean, it was one of those like, well, like my jaw dropped when I first saw yeah. it. I was like, had, you know, expected it to be cool. Cause you know, I had seen, had been, known Hayden for a long time and you know I've always loved his art but yeah he did it he outdid himself on this book and we were super excited yeah, looks yeah. super awesome uh and then the the player cheat sheet and uh you mentioned uh Stacy did this well is, so this is this, this she did the character sheet I mean she did so she did over a hundred images in our in our book yeah. she did the entire yeah. toy catalog um all in that kind of like tattoo flash sheet thing 
Ted put this together, but like those glasses she did, the, the Coke the bottle Coke there, bottle, the yeah, like we piercing, she did the fear scared a meter, you know, and like we wanted to be able to have something that would basically par everything we had down into one sheet. You know what I mean? Because a, a lot of our initial thought going into this and wanting to make a game is like, as it was entry level for us, we wanted to make it kind of entry level for other people as well. We had a lot of friends that are very interested in like role playing and very uninterested in reading the players. <laughs> got, you know what I mean? And being like, well, hang on a second. Like, what do you mean? Like cone of like, yeah. you know, the, the cone of damage and stuff. They're like more simple, please. Like, so that's, you know, we, we ended up trying to make it as simple as possible and it still may, end up with this. <laughs> and, and maybe just reflect on the system itself that you chose to go with just out of that like simple uh, idea. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, maybe in future games, cause you know, we're, we're game designers at heart now, both of us. And like, we have lots of other stuff down the line planned and whatnot. And maybe they may not be a D20 game, but I think we wanted to start with the D20 because it, there's something just really magical about that. I mean, it, I remember the first time I got handed a D20, you know, in middle school and they were like, you roll this. And I was like, I've never even seen this before. <laughs> like what this exists. And like, there's something really fun and playful about that. And also where a lot of my history lied. So, and Ted was like, hell yeah, these D20s are amazing. Like, so we wanted to do a simple D20 system and rather than having like people level up and dealing with like the pages and pages of what happens when you level up, like, you know, it's, it's meant to be kids during summer break. So we, we wanted anything and any advancement that would happen to the kids only be within that time period. You know what I mean? So we wanted it to be like you getting rewarded with super cool toys and things like that and collecting these cool points. You become cooler, you know, as the summer goes on or you could become uncool by having no cool points. But like, you know, that's that's kind of where we wanted it. We knew we wanted it to be a, a D20 and skills, good kid skills and bad kid skills. And we knew that we wanted to be as pretty simple where people aren't trying to think too far in the future about like, oh, once I'm a level four, I'll be able to do blank. It's like, no, your 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 backpack is is what gets you somewhere, you know, what you fill it with and your brain and your imagination is what gets you, you know, where you can go. Yeah. And both. I just want to add both of those two of the mechanics we talked about. Um, I, I, I think there's a an element also of like um, using the D20 system because that's sort of intuitively fun for, a you know, as a kid getting into role-playing games, like that's sort of one of the cool things is you get to roll these cool dice and, you know, the surprise of what's going to happen when you sort of wait for it to settle. And so, you know, as opposed to, there's lots of other, you know, mechanic systems we go for, but we wanted to kind of capture that feeling to reinforce that experience of playing as a kid. And cool points, um, how they actually function as a mechanic is they're like a, you know, at a crit success, if you roll a, a natural 20, you earn a cool point. You can bank those cool points and exchange them for different things in different quantities, but they essentially work as, you know, a sort of 
free roll or an option to re-roll, things like that, those really special kind of, you know, one-time use things that you save for special occasions. And the idea, you know, sort of with that is like that awesome feeling of rolling a per of a, rolling a natural 20 and, you know, having that perfect roll and executing whatever you wanted to do perfectly gets to kind of be absorbed by your character and they get to kind of carry around that coolness for a little while and have this special thing about it. So I think there's a, I, we like to think about our mechanics sort of supporting the things that make role-playing a kid fun, you know, and that was kind of the approach that we took in. in and maybe I'll jump it. I'll jump ahead to you, the characters you just, and we, then we can go back, but yeah. just like, cause I think it really kind of does a nice job of a kind of also as well as the cheat sheet, kind of like showcasing uh, like the scaredometer and the dinner and the curfew and bedtime. Yeah. And it just, all the different, like, it's just very evocative, right? You look at that and go, yeah, I want to make a character. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. That's always like, you know, uh, the my the games that I've always designed and this game that we designed together have always been character sheet forward. I've found that a lot of games I've been able to figure out just by the character sheet. And if a character sheet is well designed, you can tell how it plays just by looking at it. And then if it's something that you want to fill out, it's even better. Like, I remember the old AD&D character sheet, like, not very flashy, but still, like, had me, like, wanting to take it home and look at it and, like, be like, this is my character. This is it. And lucky enough, you know, st to have Stacy just, you know, be my partner who I live with. And she's just a prolific artist. Uh, I mean, being a tattooer, that's what ends up happening, you know, like the, every morning she's she's up and drawing and drawing and drawing and can draw all sorts of little things. And yeah, she she nailed it, <laughs> I will say confidently with no ego. And a really cool byproduct of that, which is just a side note, but uh, because she offers a lot of the designs in this book as flash in her in her shop, like people end up with don't tell mom and dad tattoos on them all the time, which is really cool and wild. Yeah. Gorilla, gorilla marketing at its best, right? Yeah. And I think I have one of those cats uh, down in our basement uh, for the, the cat clocks. I forget the name of them, but like the vintage cat clocks, those are awesome. And yeah. talk about uh, sugar and, uh, and yeah. uh, as well as the scaredometer and how that kind of works. Yeah, you want to do sugar? I'll do scared a meter. Sure. I mean, the sugar mechanic is sort of like a, uh, uh, it, it's essentially like functions like a drug, but you're a kid. So we're not going to let you, you know, take uh, amphetamines or <laughs> anything like that in the game, but you can get your hands on sugar. And the more sugar you eat, uh, the more, you know, bonus points you get to apply to your, um, your uh, special set of skills. Each character class has like a special set of skills, but then the consequence is after that sugar buzz wears off, you've got to deal with um, uh, penalties for the, for however high you got it. So you can have like a, a burst of, you know, three point bonus energy. If you scarf down, you know, uh, three cans of Coke and a, you know, two bags of gummy worms and then go out to fight the big bad, but you're going to be, potentially hurting later so it's a fun mechanic to to play with and it encourages you know some hijinks to get all that candy you know or get yeah. the money to get all that candy 
Yeah, we kind of have the numbers representing like both the bonus and the hours. So like you can get a bonus of plus three for up to three hours if you're chugging that much candy. And then after that three hours is up, you have a sugar crash. So then it's those bonuses become penalties until you sleep. Something else we wanted to build into the game to make sure it wasn't too powerful. You know what I mean? Like otherwise kids would be waking up and snorting pixie sticks. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're like, we don't want to overpower this game. So like, let's make sure we have this like sugar buzz that happens. And then you like have the groggy side effects of eating too much sugar and having a sore stomach and whatnot. So it incentivizes you to be able to rest and like we have kind of a cyclical, but just before we get into the scared meter, sorry. Uh, there's this inherent cyclical behavior in this game because unlike a Dungeons and Dragons or any other high fantasy, like gnarly, uh, you know, medieval type game or cyberpunk game, like those are like people that are just out like in the world, right? Like, well, this game pretty much always ends with you having to go home. And like either sneaking past your parents or going to your parents and going to your bedroom and sleeping and then waking up the next morning and having to have breakfast with your parents and either lie to them or, you know, tell the truth, whatever you decide to do as a kid and make sure that you're going back out into the game to be able to continue to do stuff. So we have a strong curfew um, in the game. The scared meter is something if you want to go back to that. Sure. Um, that thing. So the scared meter is something that is um, built deeply into a situation specifically that the kids are in. So we, we have an element to our game where you build the town together as a group before you even make your characters. Like the first step is, is all the players work together with the guidance counselor, which is our dungeon master. And which is cool, by the way, I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and they build, we have these town pieces in the back of our book and you can print them out. You can, you know, you can copy them however you want to get them. Those are some of the essential ones that every town has to have those right there. And you would on your table, build your town. So everyone will naturally have their own unique town. Anyone who plays. Um, and it's your own little town. And we found like, first it was like, should we do that after they make the kids before? And we found that if we did it before, everyone is subconsciously making their kid in their head while they're building the town. And when it's town based, they actually become more comfortable with the town. They're not thinking of their kid first and like then being like, oh, I guess I don't care. We'll put the arcade over here. It's like, you're, you make this town and then you start to grow up with the town as you're building the town. Um, so, and that's the only place you can go in our game. There's no like traveling outside because you're only on BMX bikes or skateboards or, you know, rollerblades or skates. So it's naturally a game with borders, you know, which is like a written on paper is a big no-no with, you know, role-playing games. You want to be this boundless world, like, without borders. But we were like, no, like, let's crush it down to a small town and fill that town with places that you can revisit and things will change if the, you know, aliens take over the ice cream parlor and then something happens and, like, you have to burn it down, maybe. 
then it can become something else or another owner can end up taking it over or, you know, things like that. So the scared meter works with these different hotspots. Like if you're in the hotspot and you're at the ice cream parlor and things are scary, you realize there's a basement there. Like you have to make fear checks throughout the game, which is like, you know, loosely kind of like your Call of Cthulhu, like sanity checks and stuff, um, which you know, it's kind of like that, but it's a little more, you know, kid-like. So it's when you're in a situation, every time you're faced with something that could scare you, everyone has to make a fear check. And if you fail that, you know, that little like lever goes up onto the, you know, on your little scared meter, taking you to a place where at a certain point, you're just so scared, you have to get out of that. You know what I mean? You can't function anymore. Um, but when you leave the hotspot and go back to your clubhouse or go home, that meter goes back to zero. It's only like almost like a blood pressure meter, if you will, <laughs> like mm-hmm. a heartbeat monitor where it's like, oh, my God, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And then you get safe. You eat a hot dog. Everything is fine. The uh, and the, going back to like the, the world building, like uh, it's just like I, I have to, I guess, ask how long has the game design been uh, going on? And like Stranger Things obviously was probably pretty prominent at the same time. And a bunch of other like kind of games kind of came out. But I mean, yours is definitely u- unique amongst them. Like I wouldn't say like it's like similar, but how much of like did like Stranger Things influence you or like uh, just like pop culture in general? You want to go to I mean, I think... I don't know that Stranger Things was the primary influence on us. I think we both watched that show a bit. I haven't, I, I have definitely haven't caught up on a couple of seasons though. But I think our our primary interest was more the stuff that we grew up with. Like, I, I mean, I think the thing that's closest to is probably Monster Squad would be the thing that you could actually like play a module based on Monster Squad in our game, and it would probably mm-hmm. work pretty well. But I think um, like Goosebumps you know and are you afraid of the dark and those sort of 90s like kid based horror and stuff but that's something that we grew up on and that was you know but there's uh i mean i'll I'll pass it over to ben in a second because he's probably got because he actually put together a list of over a hundred uh uh kids adventure movies so Uh, there is a sort of sprawling genre most of which were kind of in that 80s 90s period um you know about kids whether or not it's like a supernatural threat, you've got Goonies, you've got like E.T., you've got um, The Gate, you know, yeah. and and much, you know, weirder, more obscure kind of knockoffs of those things. And there really was a whole, and I think, um, so we were drawing on a lot of that. We watched, we were sort of in the process, we were talking about like, oh, I watched a Don't Tell Mom and Dad movie last night. Yeah. It totally <laughs> hit all these notes, you know, and we were yeah. thinking about that as we were making it. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that is it. That's just the main thing that, like, I say, because obviously Stranger Things is a thing. I think when we started the game, that show had just started when we were designing it. And it was it like first or second season. It was yeah, new. like, it certainly hadn't grown to what it had, you know, has become now. Um, but yeah, the fact it makes me feel like an old fart when I hear that because it's like, <laughs> yeah, Stranger Things is a thing, but we're probably the same age as those creators and, like, we were just influenced by the same things that they were influenced by. Yeah. I was more concerned with 
like once we started working on this, it had dawned on me to be like, wait, are there any other games like this? And then we started to like do research and we're like, oh shit, there's a game called Kids on Bikes. Like, well, let's see what that is. And like, we bought these like books and then we were like, kind of had a big sigh of relief where we were like, oh, poof. Okay, well, this is like nothing like what we're trying to design here. Like, we still want it to be like kind of a grind out, like shoot your slingshot. How does that go? You know, we want it to have super soakers and like, you know, things like that. And that game is a much more like ephemeral vibe. And like any of these games, Tales from the Loop, that like, you know, kind of are all within that genre, um, just really like were just different to what we were doing. Yeah. And, you know, we felt like there was enough of a niche of that specifically. Um, so, yeah, that's. Yeah, that's I think it's a good time to mention the like phrase kid logic, because that was something we kind of locked in on at some point during the creating process. It wasn't necessarily there from the beginning, but it definitely is like referred to explicitly in the text. And I think we designed our mechanics to try to help encourage you playing with kid logic, which is like that idea that you can use a pogo stick to like jump over a fence, right? It may not be like true to reality, but it sort of fits this, the way a kid might construct these fantasies and it works within the context of the game. So, you know, you're going to get a, a plus one for using that pogo stick. And as long as you roll, you know, what the yeah. GM decides is a reasonable number, your pogo stick is going to go flying over that, you know, fence and you're going to be able to, pull it off and it's gonna you know work in the context of the game and you know just be able to use fireworks like heavy artillery kind of all of those sort of things and uh you know we encourage with the mechanics encourage kids to think that way and play that way you know the kids as in the players and they also you know encourage the uh the guidance counselor to you know reward creative problem solving creative solutions that are sort of that you know fit into that kind of kid logic realm you know the, the eating sugar to stay up all night kind of stuff, yeah. even on the more mundane level, like, you know. Yeah. And I can't wait. We'll get into the items late, uh, later because, like, yeah. as you're going through the catalog, I don't want to spoil it, but, like, right away you're like, how could I use this? How could I use that? Mm -hmm. Right? That was the idea. Um, so we've got the main character types of Jock, Nerd, Weirdo, and Rascal. Um, you know, fairly, I guess, typical. But when you guys were going through the process, like, how how much did you um, a lot to like? Did you have like a whole bunch and then pare it down to these four, or did you just say no? This is the ones we want to go with. No, not really. Another thing that like, while I enjoy playing other games with lots of classes, like I've never been really interested in tons of different classes because anytime I've ever played D and D, I have always had trouble with that. Where I'm like. All right, well, I guess I'm a rogue, but like I, I want to be like making like weird. Po I want to be like an alchemist rogue. And like back in the day, like that shit didn't exist. And it was like we wanted people to kind of be themselves. So we wanted to make them big, wide archetypes that for a while we I think we were calling weirdo art kid. Right. We might have. Yeah. Like, and I feel like. I think Rascal was the one that I remember giving us a bit of trouble because we weren't sure what to do with that because we wanted somebody who kind of wasn't like a good kid, but we didn't want them to be like a bully, you oh, know, yeah. or something like that. But, I, you know, we finally settled on Rascal and that, I think, worked for our needs. But, yeah, it did go through a bit of workshopping, but we definitely always had in mind 
a small number of categories. We were never like, you know, here's your goth and here's your punk kid and here's your like, you know, yeah, uh, you know, whatever. You could you could yeah. you know break it down to a million Girls, different yeah. you know clicks. I probably should have put this up for the scaredometer when you're talking about it. But just like it adds, like once again, really good flavor. I love the. Like, I don't. I guess it's the Bigfoot yeah. there, right? Yeah, it's another Hayden. It's Hayden. another Hayden piece. Yeah, that and was that, one that we retroactively made that page. Like when he was just dumping us with art and was like, "What about this? What about this?" Like we were like, "Oh, this is really cool," and we're like, "What are we gonna do with this one big, huge one page thing?" And then as we were putting yeah. the book together, Ted was like. Let's make this the scared of beer page. Like, yeah, that's one of my favorite pages. I love how it came out. Yeah, and then we'll get into the items and and the the. But it's awesome. Like they're prepared for combat, right? Yep. Yeah. So that was another we wanted to have, as I was talking about earlier, where like you don't really level up, but like we want you to become an advanced like adventurer in some way and we wanted to show people on a page how that would happen that is from one of our other artists uh he's a comic book artist an old punk head named tony talbot who lives out in vegas now very very like obsessed with the band fear off the cuff dirty dirty punk in his like late 50s um who Stacy, my old partner, used to live with, and is another dude who is just a guerrilla artist who has a bunch of art in our book and didn't want a dime for it. He just was like, I don't care about that. Like, this is cool, and just started spitting out art for us. And we were like, this is a great example. We just took that. I think he drew that like this big and was like, I yeah, didn't that, that never meant to be like, <laughs> he was a, like I didn't expect you to make a page out of that. Yeah. <laughs> but we were like, this is a great example of like how your kid can level up without leveling up. Like before you know it, you have like a special puppy and you have these weird night vision goggles that you scored doing a certain thing. And it's like what started as a little kid with a backpack ends up being like an advanced tough kid who's ready to take on any monster or like, you know, crazy black suit baddie in the town. So yeah, that's what we've got. Nope. Love the nanovision eyepiece. Mm -hmm. And then uh, going for the guidance counselor and the, uh, the cycle of the game itself. I mean, it's a very elaborate circle, but it makes and it makes a lot of sense. Um, how long did it take you to do that, or was it just kind of common sense the way you play? So we worked on. I mean, this was definitely like a very collaborative piece. I want to say because I think the original idea, like Ben, came up with this circle, and had, by the time you showed it to me, you had a pretty like completed version. It wasn't just like, what if we did this? Um, and then, you know, the two of us sort of workshopped it a little bit. And then I designed, I mocked up a, uh, like a much simpler version in our play test kit. And then I worked on, on this kind of slicker looking one, um, a little bit longer for the final version, but I, we were both, you know, I mean, we're both interested in, we're both writers and storytellers tellers. and like in our sort of outside of even working on this game, I think just in talking about writing, we talked about some of the like different um, storytelling structures and arcs that we sort of had, you know, 
had used in like our own writing or an outlining or that we liked or were interested in. And we were, you know, I think that this ultimately came out of that type of conversation. And we, um, but we, we, I think what I liked about it was just this idea to um, really help the guidance counselor sort of see what an entire sort of circular arc for the characters could look like. And this is something that could represent a full like ongoing campaign. It's something that could represent an individual session. It's something that could even to a certain extent represent like a mission within a session. And, you know, it's, it's a very like, um, uh, you know, very useful, very all purpose kind of storytelling structure that I think we kind of put together from our favorite yeah, story yeah I, we're both big fans of like you know the hero's journey by joseph campbell um the dan Harmon story circle like and a, a big part of this game you know when you want to make an entry-level game what we call this an entry-level game at least we hope that that's what this is we we know that a lot of people have played it our first timers and really connected with it. You think like, Oh yeah, you're going to keep it simple. And you know, you want to make sure everything's simple and everyone understands, but it's a lot easier when you're pandering towards people who have a lot of experience playing these games. And when we realized that we wanted it to be something that is entry level for someone, we needed to have a lot of tools to be able to teach someone how to be a game master, dungeon master, referee, guidance counselor, as we call them. So we kept trying to like figure out ways that would make it seem like it would be easy to do. And like, and then it just starts to become not easy. You know what I mean? You're like, you have all of these steps and rules. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of just married our outside writing love and passion for that stuff. And was like, what if we try to make it like a story circle? Like every story and adventure is a circle. This game has a very cyclical style from your day. Like I said, you wake up and go to bed in the same house and you do things and you're still in the same town. And it was like, well, shit, this seems like it'd be perfect for that. And yeah, I mocked something up and like wrote it all out and drew it up. And then Ted just took it to the next level, separating the parts out and making it like you see that and you're kind of like, whoa, what is that? But like as soon as you start looking at it and following the path, you realize it maps out every certain you know piece of any story that you could have. And I believe it's either the outside or the inside. It's the inside is all of your guidance counselor stuff and like from their perspective and the outside is all of the kids perspective. So we didn't want to leave anything, you know, in the gray area. We wanted you to be able to just figure that out and be like, all right, if I'm here and my kids aren't feeling this, then I need to be rethinking about what I'm doing here. So we wanted it to be something you could constantly go back to and really just use as a way to try to structure stories. And we even got kind of self-conscious about that. And we're like, it's got to be simpler. And we made a Mad Libs in the book. I don't know <laughs> in that page, but like we have like a story yeah. adventure Mad Libs where we're just like, screw it, man. Like fill out the Mad Libs and you have a story. <laughs> like if you follow, you follow the Mad Libs and at yeah. the end you should have your story and be mm. able to tell it, you know? And I've run some games using that and, yeah. and it's, it works, you know, you can, I mean, yeah, it works. It really does. Yeah. Well, it works I think in, in the context of this game for sure. GM advice uh, in general in a lot of games is just non-existent. So, like, this yeah. is 
I find it like such a critical, important piece if you're trying to get people to play your game is to make it as easy for the GM or guidance counselor to run. So, you know, yeah. good job on that. That's one of my favorite things when I like get indie RPGs is do they, you know, not just give you the sort of standard set of GM tools, like some tables and some stuff, but give you some advice on actually like running characters in this world or, you know, sometimes the advice can be applicable. Sometimes it, you know, is geared specifically towards that game. But I think it's, it's super valuable because, um, you know, especially for people getting into the hobby, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, we talk about uh, fireworks being such a like the ultimate weapon for kids, and uh, mm -hmm. and the most dangerous. And, yeah, yeah, for sure. You'll shoot your eye out. Um, and let's talk about the starting adventure too. And it's a it's a fun one uh, set uh, in an arcade. Uh, so do you wanna do you wanna continue as the adventure? Maybe just give us the the Cole's notes on kind of what to expect in this adventure. Yeah, Ted, I mean, this is another big collaborative effort, but, like, I want to give Ted the most credit for this. He drew, like, Ted probably wouldn't call himself one, but, like, Ted is also an awesome artist, in my opinion, who has a really cool, specific style. And the day that Ted got one of those, like, isometric view, like, grid papers, like, his art went to the next level. All of a sudden, he started showing me shit. I was like, whoa, this is cool. And this was actually a Kickstarter uh, stretch goal. Well, yeah. the original book was not going to have this. And then, you know, we were like, let's see if we hit a stretch goal. We had no idea what we were going to get. And then we caught a couple stretch goals and we're like, all right, let's do this. And, you know, we workshopped the idea together, but Ted drew out the three different phases. Hayden, we got Hayden to do uh, the incredible artwork on the next pages of the different things you fight. Yeah, and we're kind well, of like, I don't yeah, have those. But I, I, yeah, I want to say something about that really quick because it was just a fun. I'm not sure it's always the best way to work necessarily, but we, you know, had a concept for the that this would happen in an arcade with like three levels that you know you could kind of descend. Like that was sort of I think there from the beginning, but we. uh like most of the lore and actual like way the game functioned was stuff we came up with after seeing Hayden's artwork for the creatures. Cause there's three, there's like a, a big bad creature, a sort of horde type creature. And then um, these like sort of brainwashed teens that uh, uh, called streakers that are, um, yeah. that are in there too, but he did a great job on that art. And once we saw the art, based on our loose concept, we fleshed everything out based on, okay, this is what these things are actually going to do and how they're going to, you know, interact with this world. And that was a really fun, you know, interesting creative process. And I, I loved how it turned out. Yeah. And we also, when we knew that we caught a stretch goal and we had people that were into this and wanted it, we wanted to jam pack it. So you see how tight there is with a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. going on just these two pages and i think it's a four or six page like module um and we wanted to be able to do everything that we could and give everyone everything they could in that so like we actually designed like six or so different mini gate like arcade like if you just want to go into the arcade and play the different arcade games we made special dice games within that that are like yeah just fun different like how many different ways can we make dice games happen like something that i found whenever i would run games 
um, in the past. Like I, whenever I would throw out something specific, like, oh yeah, you're in a bar and there's gambling going out in the back and people were like, well, I want to go gamble. I was like, you know, the, the go-to game I love to play is threes. I don't know if you know where you have the six-sided die and you throw your die and threes are worth zero. Everything else is their face value and you're trying to get the smallest number possible. And then I started to realize pretty fast that like people got addicted to that when you, they're playing it. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden they're like, well, we just want to gamble and like, let's keep gambling and stuff. So, you know, we wanted to create an addictive factor of an arcade in general. So we didn't just want it to be like, it's an arcade that you go to. Like we created all these stupid, I don't know if there's any of the stupid names I, I, there. I don't, I don't think I have that page, but they are yeah. fun games. Like, uh, yeah, but like, each yeah, one of them. Yeah. I think the names are Busters, yeah, Lords, Operation Box Cutter. We just like came up with like yeah. random game titles and then just yeah. retroactively started making dice games for them. And, and, and there's, there's lots of stuff to like do in this arcade without, if you don't have any interest in running the module as we presented it to, there's the games, there's like prizes you can win that could have their useful yeah. black market in the basement. There's skate ramps down there, which was sort of inspired by that awesome Ninja Turtles, uh, foot clan <laughs> layer in the first movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it just goes to show you, and I thought it was a great starting adventure because it shows what could be done with almost every location. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that was kind of Ted kind of hit on like what I think our spirit animal was for this. We were kind of like, what if the Foot Clan lair in, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles met up with a David Cronenberg film? Yeah. And, and it was like all of a sudden, like the Foot Clan were stuck in this like David Cronenberg world. And that's how we ended up designing this. Cool. And let's jump into the, the Book of Wonders. It, it made me think of uh, when I used to get the Sears uh, wish book and I'd be like, <laughs> you're the first person to say it. But that was that was actually early. Like when we were like, what is this book going to have? Like in the early phases of designing this game, I kind of put not like anyone was opposing it, but like I kind of put my foot down and was like, it's going to have a Sears wish book in it. Like, that's something that I wish all of these things did. There was nothing more magical to me than the Sears wish book. When I was a kid, I, you know, I highlighted them. I circled them. I prayed, prayed and prayed and prayed that I would get a quarter <laughs> of the things I wanted from it. You know, if I got one or two things from the wish book, I was like, yes, Santa's real. Like, uh, it was just the best. And like, it was also went right into my imagination as a kid because you, you have that like funny thing where you're like, Oh man, if I had that, like everything would change. Like I would be, I would use it like this. I would use it like that. I would be the coolest kid. And I would like, I would just be a better kid if I had that. So like that was just like this weird kid logic that it was like, Man, if I had that Rambo gun, man, I would be, I would always win at war. Like, you know, and that was very easily translatable to us in this game for the fact that everything that you have and collect in this game can have a dozen uses. And that was a big thing with us picking items um and all of the different uses that they could have now that glow worm that you're on there now that was stacy's the artist's that was <laughs> no. her foot in the ground because it was like that was one of her special toys when she was a kid and when we were trying to come up with toys she was like it'll have a glow worm 
And like, I think our first reaction was like, yeah, okay, a glow worm. Like, I guess that has a use. Like, you know, I'm not sure. And then she hit us with it. She was like, no, 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 no. A glow worm has a million uses. I carried mine around like crazy. She's like, besides the fact that it can be like a flashlight, it has a pouch in it that can do things. You know, you can make it do a billion things. Like I never left without like the house without my glow worm. Like a glow worm is going to be one of my special items when I eventually play this game. Like it, it's a glow worm or I'm not drawing any of them, you know? <laughs> We More were, people get excited about that item flipping through the book than anything else, too, yes. I think. Yeah. 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 And I love, uh, like, not only fun, but also clever game design about the walkie-talkies in the distance. Like, just uh, half the town, full town, and, like, mm-hmm. breaking it up like that. It just it solves a lot of problems just labeling it like that. It solves a lot of problems, but it also like it was something that we we probably spent more time figuring out the walkie talkies and how we wanted them to be yeah. in the game than most other mechanics, even though it's just a little thing where it's like walkie talkies. But we're like, no, like walkie talkies are one of the most important things potentially in this world. Now, you can play this game in any era that you want and you can have cell phones if you want. But we kind of designed it with an open world any decade in the pre-cell phone era. So like a walkie-talkie became your cell phone. And it was like, how much money, you know, and resource do you want to spend being able to use this walkie-talkie, right? And how far you can use it. And we wanted to have different stages. Yeah, so, and it also, it creates problems too when they can't reach each other, right? All right, of a sudden, exactly. you want to hop on the bike. Like, damn, we should have got the better ones, you know? And then... Yeah, so it was something that we knew was important and we we were kind of like needing to walk that tightrope of how, you know, how do we want that to work? How do we want that mechanic to work? How what's going to be the tightest way? And we played around with a lot of stuff and we were kind of like, no, like let's have the different stages of walkie-talkies that you could have that actually existed. You could have the cheap, you know, Barbie or GI Joe ones or you can get the real nice big now seen as the stranger things ones you know like those the big the big heavy duty like honking ones but yeah very very important stuff to us the walkie talkies and you know further on you've got like the different tools that you see it and go how can i use that against the enemy uh like we're gonna do a campo we need first aid binoculars all the things that like you know, once again, just like super evocative about like, how do I use this in the game? Yeah, thank you again. All all Stacy's goodness. We we just wrote down a list and started to think of anything that we could and would cross it out if we were like, we can't think of more than one use for it. And if there was anything that had more than one use, we were like, let's do this. And yeah. And then the blasters. That was that was another big fun thing so i was a nerf gun kid growing up i don't know if you were and like i'm still technically a nerf gun kid i have a closet right here that has a handful of it i've given ted a trash bag of them to his son because i don't like go out and play like i know that there's actual like professional people like i just like to shoot mine around the house and like shoot stacy and like shoot stuff down (laughs) but like nerf guns were like it when i was a kid and the capacity of a nerf gun was pathetic compared to what you could have like it was something that like when designing this game i kind of got back into nerf guns and was like 
let's check out Nerf guns. And then I was like, oh my God, they're automatic 30 round. Like I was like, you could do things that again, if I would have seen that in a wish book when I was a kid, I would have been like, oh my God. Cause we used to like covet the, the ammo that we got, you know what I mean? You would yeah. come with like five bullets and like, if you shot one into the bush, you'd spend an hour getting that out of the bush. You now were... you just buy a bucket of, yes, bucket now... of darts for, yeah. Yeah. Dollars. So we knew that we wanted it to be a world where like you could actually, you know, shoot a werewolf with a Nerf gun, like in that kid logic and like yeah. have it do something. So you know, the, the squirt guns and the nerf guns. And then like, those are our different like styles that remind us of our childhood, right? Like you had your foam darts, you had those hard, hard plastic, like, you know, sticky cone stick to them darts. You had your squirt guns and then you had pellet guns and like BB guns. So like Mm -hmm. we wanted to represent each of those four different things. But, but some kids still go with it. The hurlers, the you know, the old fashioned oh. like slingshots and and frisbees and boomerangs, those get a lot of use because they're they're fun. Oh. Absolutely, I mean, a slingshot is arguably one of the most when any game testing that we ran. I mean, you know, it goes hand in hand. You want to be a kid adventurer, it's you get you get a slingshot in your back pocket, and it gives you the ability, unlike any of these other guns, to be able to pick basically anything up. You're shooting marbles. You're shooting. You can shoot the special amulet that you need. You know what I mean? Into the hands of someone else or into the face of something. So yeah, the classic. Yeah, yeah. it's fun. It reminds me of uh, we used to shoot each other with BB guns in the woods behind my house. So that was like our fun, right? Going shooting each other. (laughs) Oh, I've been shot and shot. I had a Red Rider growing up. That my dad still has. I always joke that he bought it for himself because uh, he's an old retiree and he'll still shoot the squirrels out of his bird feeder, like as an old old man with this like thirty something year old oh, Red Rider BB gun. Then uh, yeah, that's that was that was it, man. It was the, one of the best Christmases I ever had. Was that right there? <laughs> and of course, you need some science mixed in and uh, all the strange things that could happen there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And then we uh, talked about uh, the character sheet, but I also love what's under the bed sheet. Mm. Yeah. So that actually is a specific mechanic in the game because it's like you can only carry so many items in your backpack. Right. And it's usually like age defined, I think, is like how our mechanic rolls. If you're seven, yeah. you can hold seven items. If you're 13, you can hold 13 items. Um and you have your little front pouch and these are like your day-to-day stuff, but there's lots of stuff that you can have and you can keep it under your bed. And the kind of like blanket point of that is it's safe. It's in your room and it's safe. And not unless we have like built into our uh, guidance counselor section. Like if you're a kid who keeps getting in trouble with your parents and doing bad, you know, what do you do in a game with kids when you can't have anyone die? right? Like you need to have forms of punishment. So we wanted to make one of the things like if you mess up enough and your parents are mad enough at you, they'll turn over your bed. And if you have firecrackers or whatever's hidden in there, it's gone. You know what I mean? They'll take them. They'll take them from you. So we wanted to have a place that was like both safe, but if you push your limits, you could end up losing that stuff. And Stacy just killed it with the bunk bed. Yeah. And then uh so awesome game. And when did when did you guys come up with the uh brochure adventures or supplements? Like when 
in retrospect to the game being released? So I think we kickstarted those last fall and then had them out like uh, it was either I think it was early this year, like January, because we had them by the time we were at the uh, um, Total Con up in uh, Massachusetts. So it was before February. So, yeah, we put those out about, um, you know, six months or so ago. Yeah. And they were a direct result of actual like doing kind of I don't want to say market research because there's no, mar- you know, market or whatever we're doing, but just asking people what they liked and what they wanted more of. Um, and a lot of people really love the fireworks and the fireworks mechanic and playing with that. And also we got a lot of people going, hey, we like to play this game online and we can't really use the mechanic that you have in the game, in the book, uh, online as easily when we're doing digital dice rolling because we have this like lighting the wick mechanic built into the game where every certain, if you want to flip to the other side of that, well, you know, every single firework in our universe has what that says EQ, which is our explosion quotient. It's like what we called up. And those are the numbers that you have to hit. You have 30 seconds to take one of all of your die and roll them. And, t- you know, once you pick a number, you pull it out of the dice pool and you have 30 seconds to hit that number or higher, right? So the more dangerous that the the firework is, the higher that number is. And the maximum you can get if you roll a 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, and 20 is 60. So we knew that that was the highest. So if you're going to set off an M80, you need to hit 48 or higher, which is not necessarily easy to do. And if you don't hit that in 30 seconds, that firework goes off in your hands or on you and everyone gets damaged and it doesn't work. And people like that, but they were like, I can't do that digitally. So on the back page that we had that you were just on, we created a simple D20 mechanic for just how difficult that stuff is. That like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So we wanted to have that and we wanted to give people what they wanted, which was more fireworks which was on that other side so there's i don't even know how many more fireworks we created there there's probably another 10 or so and we wanted to give people a simple built-in way to kind of think about how you can get fireworks in the world so we created three different types of npcs that'll give people fireworks and that's that's why we were like we wanted to expand that fireworks world ted designed this completely i mean he made all the fireworks and everything this is when ted started to really cross the threshold into great graphic design in my opinion i mean not that you weren't great before ted you're amazing but like you handed me this stuff and i was like whoa cool this is going to be great and uh the other one that we wanted to match it with is something that if you ask anyone in these games you know in the game world what they want is more modules adventures 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 so yeah we we designed the something stinky this way skates which yeah and this was actually something i had written for a uh like game demo we did at a local game shop um and uh you know i wrote it for that i wrote it to be a one shot and i just was so happy with how it played as a as a one shot it was a real like the perfect sort of time for a two and a half three hour session um it worked with a pretty big group. It would work with, you know, all sizes. So then we just kind of, I, I took that 
you know, what I had written, refined it a little bit, added, you know, some more bells and whistles to give you some more options. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm most proud of is like, it's, it's, it's a functional one shot, which I think can be a little bit tricky to find. And what's the, what's the hook? What's the premise for those at home? It's uh it's there's a group of uh, like roller hockey players in your town, like, a, you know, skate, skate team, skate hockey team who well, something's been they've been acting weird. Right. You meet the skaters shortly in the game. But the, the hook is that every new moon, uh, something is devouring all of the like junk food in town. So everybody in town, all the shops, if there's an approaching new moon for the weekend, nobody's getting any. uh candy in on friday because they don't want any of it to get like lifted and you know that the town is going to be a junk food desert until the next monday at least if you don't figure out what's going on and what's uh devouring all the junk and food. of course is the what kids kind need of brings the sugar, you into right? it exactly the kids, the kids need the sugar without it they can't uh yes can't. indeed uh so that's i mean like i said this is totally in my wheelhouse i love this game I think it's awesome. Uh, so what's next? What's the big, any kind of big plans? Or like, are you going to go into the uh, uh, punk lips? Uh, I mean, we have a few things that we're working on for Don't Tell Mom and Dad. It's, um, I don't know how much we want to like reveal here because it's just not stuff we've talked about publicly necessarily. I don't, but um, we, uh, and it's not entirely clear which things will sort of come out in which order or, you know, but we have a few things in various states of completion. Uh, I don't know. Like, do you want to tease any of them? I mean, ben? I love to tease it personally. I know yeah. that you <laughs> tease what you're closer to the vest, which is smarter. Nobody watches this channel anyway. So no, no, I, I, I just didn't want to tease it without consulting on with <laughs> yeah. you whether we were going to drop it. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm excited because it's happening and we're working on them. Um, like we won't give too much detail, but one of the things is going to be a bite-sized monster manual, which is a monster manual filled with micro-sized monsters, little gremlins and goblins and things that are like, you know, lots of monster manuals out there. Like how big and gnarly is your monster? And we want it to, you know, again, zig instead of zagging. So we have lots of teeny tiny monsters that are in it. Um, we've got more modules ready to go that are going to be as different and weird as possible and we've got some paper minis that we've got we've got some artwork for that we're going to be spitting out oh and and the soundtrack i forgot that was the, yeah. that was the thing i was most <laughs> thinking about but uh, yeah yeah but, no yeah. so i i am a musician and a composer and i wrote and recorded with a good friend of me and ted's uh jay who runs a snaggletooth studio in south philly um we made a dungeon synth soundtrack for don't tell mom and dad that is recorded and we are working on the cassette like you know the the insert and like liner notes right now and developing the artwork on that but as a yeah don't tell mom and dad audio companion all recorded on four track analog with old casios and toy instruments so it's great it really it, yeah i mean i there's not too much to i don't you know People will hear it and they'll be super excited about it when they do. But it sounds great. It's really exciting. And there will definitely be, um, you know, I I don't know if it's if it's exactly right to call it a module contained in this. But there'll be there's going to be a lot of playable material that's going to, like, work 
you know, drop right into your games and don't tell mom and dad that are, you know, a little bit thematically uh, related and I, it'll be, it'll be pretty cool. We're really Super excited. Cool. So it's going to be like an accordion liner where you pull it out and there's like yeah, an adventure or something the, like that. The full eight panel, you know, layout, which is yeah. the, the biggest yeah. one you can get. So it's going to, yeah, you're going to yeah. get a ton of material, which would be cool. Of stuff in there. Cool. And we previously talked about lunch meat. I'm going to bring it up here because I think it's a, like a rather cool website. And how did this get started? And like, I, I mean, it fits in with the game quite well, obviously. Yeah. So this, so I, uh, started lunch meat as it was just a magazine 15 years ago um my co-creator in lunch meat uh his name is josh schaefer we were both working at relapse records at the time and you know hanging out and talking about uh you know obscure and low budget horror movies we were both writers it's how a lot of my you know friendships and creative partnerships get together is just we both write we both are into the same material like let's do something together um and it became a, um, you know, now a long-running publication with some longer periods, you know, in between issues at certain points, depending on how it, you know, how involved it was. Where we cover, you know, we do reviews of movies that are only available on VHS that you can't find on, you know, um, newer formats, along with interviews with um, uh, filmmakers, actors who sort of are associated with cult films from the video store era um and uh and we've like now work with lots of great writers who also work who write in this field ben is one of them ben um has at least one review coming up in the in the next issue that he's already delivered which is super excited and relates to don't tell mom and dad too it's like one of the original don't tell mom and dad movies that like not one of the original Don't Tell Mom and Dad movies, but one of the first like really weird ones that Ben showed me that I had never seen before. Yeah, uh, it's called Little Marines, and um, it's bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, it's bonkers. <laughs> you can you can look it's up and find when out. you collect VHS like this, like you come yeah. across and like I've been I've been pounding my hand on the table about it for years, being like everyone needs to see this movie. It is so crazy and weird and insane, and is done with zero budget and is a total don't tell mom and dad story that like no one is talking about. And uh, yeah, just to finish with lunch meat on what he was saying. I mean, that's how I met Ted and Josh. Um, I reached out years ago when I was always in bands and touring around and stuff. And there was a bouncer in the back of one of the venues that I was playing at, who was reading a lunch meat magazine. It was like issue one or two. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, it's a mag. And I like, I like to joke because that dude was kind of like uh, a higher than thou, like dick to me about it. And I already was a collector of VHS and like, he didn't realize that just the visual of seeing lunch meat was changing. Like I found a community, even though that that dude was not specifically like nice to me about it. Like I was like, hang on a second though. I'm like, there's a magazine about VHS. And he was like, yeah, it's about like rare and weird ones. And I was like, yeah, weird, rare ones that like, you, no one else knows about. Like I, I I'm into that. That's what I do. And like, it stuck with me for like after that experience. And then I did the research and like looked them up and reached out to them. And Josh got back to me at the time. And I was like, 
hey man like i would love to write for this like this is so cool i just want to say that like i'm so excited that this exists that this is a thing like i'm you know very happy that this is you guys are making this and like i'd love to write and then like send them stuff from my bands and josh at the time was like yo i really like your bands like you know (laughs) this this is a good like back and forth and they didn't uh like an interview on one of my bands that I had at the time called cave women. And like through that, we became very close and like would always go to their vending events. And Ted was always there. And that's like how me and Ted became friends. It was just like, we all lived in Philly. We were all had the same, you know, interests and Ted and Josh, I like to joke were as cool as that dude who was reading the magazine at the time wasn't like, (laughs) all right. Like I have a feeling the people who made this magazine are going to be nicer and cooler to me than the person who was reading it there. And uh, yeah. And I mean, it was just fast friends from that point on. And then like eventually started writing for them and, you know, me and Ted wrote, wrote together. Right on. Well, if not for that bouncer, like who knows, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's part of really when we started doing the magazine, I mean, now, you know, it's, we've grown it into, you know, I mean, it's still a, a small, you know, short run independent press, but we've got a few different magazines now and we had, you know, release uh, licensed films on VHS and they, you know, have a few different kind of, you know, uh, different products we put out all in that kind of vein. But when we started it, um, you know, we had no intention or no sort of ambitions about any of that really. Like we just, wanted to see if anybody else was into, you know, reading about the movies that we were into. And that really has been the most successful thing about it. And my favorite thing about it is it just, it connected us to, you know, Ben and a lot of other people, you know, I mean, Hayden was another one who like is part of this, you know, circle of people sort of through lunch meet years ago. And, you know, we all have, you know, we've all worked together in all these different capacities now and stuff, but it was like, it was, you know, it just has really been special to connect with so many great, talented, creative people with the same kind of weird offbeat interests. It's a great community. I I really thank, I mean, I thank Ted all the time for this and Josh, but I'll thank you again. Like, I love that you brought a community together of people that are so many cool people that we all just make art. We're all musicians and writers and artists. And like, we all just found a community through that and we were able to do all of these awesome things. I mean, and then you were able to bring me into the RPG community. So it's all feet, like everybody's bringing, you know, bringing all different like creative and artistic passions. And it, uh, you know, just, it creates a good stew, I think. Cool. Well, the passion in the game and, uh, the website, uh, and the zine, uh, of that it all comes through and i think uh, i i very much appreciate that myself so you know well done for uh, creating a cool community and also a very cool game oh thank you so much man yeah thank and, you and i want to see your scantron game don't <laughs> bust that out don't don't let that die in in yeah. a bookshelf yeah, yeah. okay already, we'll have to kickstart that but yeah, anyways your absolutely already had me going here so yeah Cool. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show. Very much appreciated. And please come back and uh, when you got some uh, new supplements and new additions to the game. Yeah, hopefully soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we really appreciate it.